Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about inclusion on a different level, and you'll just have to wait to see what that means. But before I introduce you to our guest today, who I'm very excited for you to meet, and I'm excited to get to know better, let me start by sharing our community's preamble. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize that there's no need feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment, one day at a time. Esther and Jerry Hicks call it the science of deliberation, and we call it the answer to all of our prayers. So on today's show, I'd like to introduce you to an immigrant from Japan who moved here at five years old. Her name is Kori Yasuno, and she'll let us know if I said that right. And she arrived in the United States with her oldest brother and parents. She later received her BSLA from Georgetown University and worked in the online department at Discovery Health National Geographic Channel. After her older son was diagnosed with autism, Corey switched gears to stay at home. And after navigating the complicated journey of parenting a child on the spectrum, Corey was compelled to help other parents navigate their child's diagnosis as well as raise awareness across the board with her book, Autism with a Side of Sushi. Corey, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting to be on the show. Uh, we're very excited to have you, and it sounds like you're doing a lot of work in our community, if I can say that. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey of finding out the diagnosis, when that was, and kind of what led up to that? Sure. So I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and a lot of us have like very similar stories, right? You know, my kid, he's the first son. So I, like a lot of other parents, like didn't know anything about developmental milestones, what to look for, what not to look for. And I was thinking, you know, oh my gosh, my kid is so advanced. He can focus on a toy for a really long time and he doesn't, you know, need to be bothered. And if I put him in the pack and play with a particular toy, I can, you know, do whatever I need to do. But my 
sister-in-law who's a pediatrician was talking to me about her daughter and she was like, oh, I can't get her to nap. And I was like, you know, my son naps, but he's not pointing. He's not like responding to me when I call. And I just, is that weird? <laughs> you know, she's like, ah, uh, uh, and then in a couple of weeks later, she called me back. She's like, this is definitely something you want to get checked out. So like, you know, I, I must've known something, you know, I must've had some sort of thing or else I wouldn't have brought it up. But so after that, we had him tested or diagnosed and we knew they didn't give him the autism diagnosis, but they gave him PDD, NOS, pervasive remote muscle delay, not otherwise specified, which sort of like blanketly covered everything. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I mean, like from that point on, it was sort of like you could have called it chicken pox. We still had to deal with everything. Right. So it wasn't so much what it was called, but it was like, great. What do we do next? And we were actually really lucky. So I live in the D.C. area. The NIH, is the Na um, National Institute of Health is right here. We have so many resources available. Some are public and some are private. Even the public programs are really top-notch for the young infants and toddlers age. And so my son was, I don't know, maybe like a year, 16 months. And we started right away. Like, you know, as soon as we got the PDD-NOS, we we recommended a doctor who used to work at the NIH who specializes with children on the spectrum. And then he, you know, we just totally locked out in that he was like, listen, he's going to need 40 hours of speech therapy and he's going to need, you know, lots of interactions with peers. And so you probably want to call these people and, you know, try to get in with them and then try to call those people. And once our doctor gave us a name, then that person was also able to give us a name. I call it Team Daniel, but we were really lucky and able to set that up, which is a benefit for, of living in a sort of like a metropolitan area. I mean, I know there are other areas of the country that it's a real big struggle to, you know, many, many phone calls to get the first appointment to like figure out what it is that's going on and then to get like recommendations for speech therapists. Whatever. Like I said, we were just really, really lucky. And so we started right away and we later got the diagnosis. And by that point, it was like just not even a surprise, you know, <laughs> like everything was going towards that direction. And so we were ready, not re you know, nobody's really ready for it, but we were prepared ish. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you bringing up the positive part about finding resources and services. You know, I, mm -hmm. I interview some people from other countries that talk about having to wait six and seven years yeah. before they can get their diagnosis. Yeah. Do you have any kind of a gut feeling as to whether the early intervention was powerful for your child or That's a not? really, really good question, you know. I'll never know, right? Like, because I only have this experience. So I don't know what was the answer. Maybe we could have done more. Maybe we did too much. But it did help in that just having all those people around, the therapists and the experts and the speech therapists, like, they helped me, right? So, because I didn't know what I was doing. And a lot of my mom friends, you know, we were in a mother's group in the, for first time moms. And they would like feed me questions to ask them because, you know, I'm the one that has these people that come into my house a couple times a week. And like I, so in that regard, regardless if they helped Daniel, which I think they did, they obviously were able to detect signs because I didn't know what I was looking for. They were obviously able to give me other places and referrals. 
but it, on the whole, on like a macro level, I feel like it was important. It was great that we did it because they helped me. And obviously, if I was in a good place, then I was more able to help my kids. Because frozen with fear and not knowing what to do is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, I do think that just having someone to talk to at when the kids are toddlers for even a typical kid is so helpful because really we don't know. I mean, okay. I take that back. I don't know. what I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. Yes. No, I agree a hundred percent. Can you tell us a little bit about your emotional journey through this? Yeah. You know, when I was talking to my sister-in-law and she was like, Oh, you know, you may want to get him checked out. Like obviously it's meant the multiple stages of autism revelation, right? <laughs> denial, anger. I, it took a while. I was like, what happened here? What did I do? Did, it, was it because I ate chocolate during my pregnancy? Was it, you know, did I spin around three times on a Tuesday? I just had no idea. And I mean, before I sounded so, you know, with it being like, well, it's not really what it's called is that you have to move forward. I mean, it took a long time for me to get there. And I think, I mean, I was really more scared. And when it called bubbles down to it, like I was mad, but I was really just scared because I didn't know any. When I was first told about the A word, like people were still calling it the A word. They're like, oh my God, you know, my kid's 16, almost 17, but like 15 years ago, they were like, oh, not autism. Oh my God. And then that feeds into it too, because, you know, if that's what other people are reacting to it, I'm like, well, what is this thing? What could it possibly be? And so I was very, very, very scared. The other thing was that there was a lot of documentation about Temple Grandin, the man who did the sound effects for Kiss, Robin, John Robbins, Running with Scissors, the author of that book. And these are great people that have accomplished so much, right? And I think that's amazing. But I really just wanted to know about, like, was there a kid around the corner who was just similar to Daniel making it in a high school locally? You know, just like your average Joe, what is going on with that? And I wasn't plugged into the network, you know, we call the special needs mafia. I didn't know anybody. I didn't, you know, have any information. And so again, like that compounds the fear and yeah. And then you have to fill out all these forms, right? And you have to write down the kids deficits and like, there is nothing worse than having, well, maybe having them read to you is worse. I'm not sure, but actually writing down what the kid can and can't do is so painful the first time and maybe the 10th time. (laughs) And now I'm like, Yeah. So, and it takes a lot to get to that point, but I think what helped me was I had another kid. And so my kids are back to back. They're exactly two years apart, two years and a couple of 13 days or whatever. And so I was still, and this is when Daniel was young. So he was two and then I had an infant. So that saved me in that, like, I couldn't really dwell on anything because there was too much going on. Like I had this toddler and then I had an infant and I had, you know, sleep deprived and I was trying to keep them alive. So like, yes, I I wanted to worry and dwell, but really I had to like feed people, bathe people, (laughs) dress people. And so I think that really saved me in that I was sort of like, like in like a blur. 
if I had my wits about me, I probably would have like plunged much deeper into a terrible depression because I would have more time to think about it. And I think that's like one of the things you just have to start acting because once you just have to do, you know, take action, I think, because if you sit, you can dwell on anything really. So yeah, that was my emotional journey. And now, I mean, I still, it's kind of the same. It's like every, this is the thing with autism, right? And also any kind of child development, it's like, some days you're so proud and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. That's so awesome. I'm so proud of you. And then bam, it's like the next day you're like, what happened? What are we doing? And then you have a setback. And I always feel like it's like so cruel how that happens. It's like you're in a lull and everything's going great. And then bam. So like even now it's like every time I feel like everything's smooth sailing, something happens. And so it's still tough, you know? Now, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's why kind of in the preamble, we talk about trying to get present because when you start future tripping about what's the future of my kid going to look like, are they going to be bullied? Is there ever going to be any relief for me, you know, as a parent? So I identify, I remember year after year going to the IEP and watching my ex like start to well up in tears as we said this goal one was not met goal two was not met goal three was not met it's like can we skip the other seven i get the point she's crying we don't need to go through it it's amazing you know they don't tell you they don't have time in the iep to talk about the successes like that iep is just talk about the deficits and i feel like i mean i get it there's that iep takes a lot of time just doing that yes Um, but like they don't tell you like what a toll that takes on you, you and your day, you know? Yes. I always try to do something like really nice for myself after an IEP. <laughs> that's that's a good that's a good suggestion. I hope the parents out there, Naked Parent Nation, take that advice from you. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what inclusion looks like for your son today and what might be missing? So that's a great question. I wrote a book. Again, like I said, everything was going great. I, we had had Daniel in private school all the way up to high school. And then in high school, we found a public school program that has an autism. It's called an ARS, Autism Resources Services. And it was sort of like a program within a big public school. And we were like, this is free. And this is like a tiny school in this big school. And there's small classrooms. Like, is this for real? We were so excited. And then um, the pandemic hit. And so we did the first year online. And it was great. Like this ARS program, we just was trucking along. And then sophomore year, my son was able to go in person. It's a public high school with about 600 plus or minus kids per grade. And but in the ARS program, it was much smaller. Um, And for the COVID era, they didn't have any extracurricular, well, they didn't offer any extracurricular activities because of the, you know, everybody was sick and everybody was wearing masks. It was very limited, you know, and most people were virtual. We started this year, actually. He, Daniel is a huge theater person and he loves musicals and he loves performing and he loves all that. So during the day, he would do the autism program and then he started to branch out and do the theater activities and the musicals and all that. What happened was what we didn't know was that even within a school that has an autism program, really the only people that were educated on how to 
interact, treat, respect children that are autistic were just in that program. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening, which again, like I said, everything was going great and then it wasn't anymore. Once he branched out, he was bullied. And the Mm -hmm. school, they just, I guess they weren't prepared for a kid that was willing to branch out into the big areas of the school with the, dare I say, normal population, you know? It's like, Mm -hmm. so... That was terrible. And Daniel, my poor son, was really treated poorly. And it escalated and escalated and escalated to the point where he just, he could not go back there. Um, To me, it was like such a shock, right? Like, how could you have a program, but not have people that are capable of dealing with kids on the spectrum? You know, they were trying to make accommodations, but it was so clear (laughs) It's like, I, as a parent, do not feel safe sending my son into this building. Just, I won't do it. Not after repeated events. Just won't do it. So at the end of the day, we found him a private school. We moved him and he's there and he's going to finish out 10th grade. I guess these experiences plus others have really brought to my attention the need for instruction, inclusion, and really like intentional inclusion. Like I always say there's all those memes like from movies or whatever this is. You can sit with us. You can sit with us. Oh, come, you can sit with me. I think that's great, right? Like having movie showings that allow special needs kids, having, you know, people having inclusion classrooms to have the special kids, uh, special needs kids join in or having birthday parties and inviting the kid that is special. That's lovely. And that's just, you can sit with us. My problem is that for our situation, if the child is not able to meet the social skills of everybody else around, and we are teaching them, but this is their specific deficit, I'm trying to figure out a way to have everybody else meet the kid that is deficient, right? Like, and people get upset when I say deficient, but in my situation, it is a deficiency. Like, this is the one skill my kid doesn't have. Why am I torturing my son to try to like master the skill when it really like I want it to be a community wide thing? Like, why can't we teach the other kids how to help my kid too? Not just my kid, any other socially awkward kid. So you can sit with us as enough is good for a kid that is able and that it has the social skills to once they're physically in that group to say what they need to say and make the friends and do whatever it is that we do. But you can say with us isn't enough if you don't have the skills to then independently join in that group. You know, mm-hmm. so you're still isolated. I mean, if I didn't speak English and I was sitting with the table of Americans, I'm sitting there, but I'm not feeling any sort of inclusion, right? So of course I'm going to be trying to learn English really like as fast as I can, but the people around me could help me maybe draw pictures or, I mean, I'm not saying everybody needs to learn Japanese, but like, you know, help me. I don't know how to make this happen, but I feel like from what I want and where it is right now, there's a huge gap. So we have to start somewhere, you know, and we have to figure out how to bridge the gap. Because it can't be this hard for every kid. It just, it's just not fair. I mean, again, it's the not fair, not fair. 
my kid's lucky. Like I can advocate for him, you know, and I have time and the energy to do it. And there are so many other kids out there. Their parents are, are working or they don't speak English or they're just like in other situations where they can't be advocated for. I mean, so let's do it for everybody, you know? And also, is it really that hard to just be nice? You know, like, let's start there. <laughs> so I guess I sound like a, a raving bad person, but I just want everyone to just learn that it's okay to be different and it's okay to ask questions. What's not okay is to band together and exclude and reject because there are a lot of steps that could be taken before all that happens. And I feel like we can only benefit from that, you know? I think it's awesome. I think we need to talk about these issues. Question I had while you were speaking is, do you feel like there's a difference of inclusion at different age? Oh, yes, definitely. So when you're little, you have your, like, nobody's talking, right? They're all babies and they're all kind of parallel playing. And parallel playing, I feel like, my kid is a rock star, right? And then, you know, you get a little older and the kids kind of interact and they kind of play, but they're mostly like you know, running and yelling and nobody's got like organized games going, right? So that's another age. And then there's like a, a, an age when the kids are in elementary school and a lot of the um, activities are led by somebody, right? So that's great too, because you have a person, you have instructions, and then everybody knows what to do when. It's the unstructured time that's really hard, I feel like, because that's when you have to really bring your social skills to the table. I think it's when the kids become more aware of each other. I think it's when like, he's cool, she's cool, he's not, that kind of stuff comes into play and everybody's insecure. And I think, you know, as soon as that stuff starts to happen, it becomes hard. And then something happens in college where everybody just doesn't care anymore, I think. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe that's what I'm hoping for because we're not there yet. Perhaps I'll be eating my words later. But I think that when you're younger, it's less obvious. And I think that's why a lot of kids don't get diagnosed until later, right? Because it kind of struggle, but they work it out. And then later when kids start like really, you know, trying to find themselves and like find their clicks and units, that's when I feel like some of the kids get left out. Yeah, I think you isolated that sort of junior high through high school, and maybe people are maturing in college. Maybe. maybe they're starting to find some gratitude for the blessings they have in their life and they can see the challenges of others. Do you have any gut feeling as to what's something we could do to help that junior high to high school community be more inclusive? I was thinking about that. And of course, I wish I had some sort of advisory board with like brilliant minds to help figure this out. There's two things I was thinking about. One is like, you always see in these Facebook posts, these kids, these like one in a million. And they're like, my kid's on the spectrum, but he had these two super buddies that stayed with him from day one to day a hundred and what, you know, a thousand, whatever. And he graduated and these guys protected him the whole time or these girls like took him to prom, you know? So I think about that and I'm like, well, where did I go wrong? Like, what did we do? Like, what's, what's, why couldn't that happen for my kid? I think there's two things. One is, is that it's an invisible disease. So our kids look like all the other kids. 
it would be very awkward and horrible for a kid to be bullying a child that was in a wheelchair, unable to speak, right? I think any person would stand up to that or should. I think what is tricky is that when you are normal adjacent, you're like kind of fitting in, but like you're just, nobody knows what it is, but you're just not getting it. There's a dissonance there. Those are the kids that get ostracized. And those are the kids because it's like, it's almost okay to do it because everybody, nobody knows how to extend that arm because nobody has the confidence to be that brave in that age group, I think, except for these superstars that they write about on Facebook, which I've never met and I would love to. So yeah. But I guess my plan is what I've been starting to think about is um, the got to do it from the kids. Like a teacher telling you, listen, Chad, third period, you got to be friends with that weird girl, Corey. Yeah. She didn't have any friends. And you're going to be like, I don't want to be friends with her. She's weird. You know, and I'm not going to do it, especially because a teacher told me to. Am I going to get extra credit? Am I going to get? So I feel like it has to be something that is a change in the mindset of the peers or it's we pose it to them when they're in high school. Hey, for your third quarter project, you guys come up with a way to include everybody or, you know, I really I don't know what the answer is. But I feel like teachers need to inform and be accepting and they need to know how to handle situations. And the kids need to feel like they're getting something out of it too. The teachers, if you have a kid that's complaining about another kid to a teacher, I mean, is the answer to separate them forever? Is it to mediate? What is the best way to handle each situation? And then what is the best way to handle it if one kid is on the spectrum? I don't know. I just feel like there's so many nuances to it. And what if there was a student on their level that could say, hey, I noticed you doing X, Y, and Z, and that's what's causing the problem. The person might receive that better than if it came from a teacher. But if it, you know, I just don't know. I really feel like it needs to come from like all angles. And I feel like the problem is that we don't have it. But it's more like, we're not ready for it. Like the kids don't know about it, you know? And especially now with the pandemic and everybody's like regressed two years in social skills and nobody's used to being around anybody. So it's like even more difficult. I also feel like there's one in 47 kids being diagnosed with, with being on the spectrum today. And the thing that is going to make people take notice and change is when somebody they care about gets bullied or ostracized or treated poorly. And it's really only a matter of time because in 10 years, five years, I don't know, I feel like every other kid is going to be on the spectrum. Like this is going to be the new norm. It's coming and better to be accepting and open to it and ready for it than to kind of like live in the bubble and deny it's coming. (laughs) So yeah, I think that it needs to be taught I think it needs the moms like us, we need to know what to look out for. I feel like there's so much information that needs to be taught. And maybe they take away other stuff that they're learning at school that's not necessary and replace it with the kindness lessons and acceptance. And, you know, so I think you made me think of um, so my 14 year old daughter, she had to 
she wanted to get into a program in high school, some kind of a special program, and they had to take a community problem and come up with a solution for it. Mm-hmm. And I was super proud of her. So most people picked, you know, the environment, how to recycle, just global warming, if they knew enough to talk about it. And she picked, gives me the chills kind of, she picked to go to the younger schools and talk to the kids about when your parent is a drug addict, because Mm -hmm. she dealt with that from her mom Mm -hmm. and she felt so alone. And she thought that the kids that are dealing with that at home are keeping it quiet. And so if she could go to like the elementary schools from junior high, Mm -hmm. share about things that you can look out for and, you know, maybe give some resources, then that's sort of what you were talking about, that peer to peer more. Yeah, that would Um, be, yeah. So I think there's something in there that maybe could be done for what, like you were saying, where, you know, maybe peers a little more advanced can come in and talk and maybe a college kid talking to somebody in high school might be cooler than the teacher. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, that's amazing of your daughter. First of all, let's give her all the props there. I mean, that that's amazing, you know? And, and I think that people hear that more. I feel like people here, we're not idiots, right? Like if I was making all this stuff up and like being just pontificating about special needs because that was a nice thing to do. Like people can see the difference, right? Like, you know, a genuine person and they feel like kids can see that. Right. And so if there's a kid, it's like, even though they're a couple years older, you respect that kid, like your daughter. And I bet she made more of an impact than even she knows because it's so relatable. And I think when it's relatable, it's when people listen and people care. You know, like, wow, I think I understand what she's talking about. And now I can turn it around and maybe change my ways a little bit. And like, like one thing I write in the book is so because I hate, hate going to parties and like not knowing people. And I like, I just hate feeling that awkward, you know, Uh Um, if I'm anywhere like carpool or whatever, and I'm with like a group of my mom friends, if I see like one mom, a new person that doesn't know somebody, I am like the first person to be like, Hey, come join us. Like, are you new? You want to, and sometimes they're like, listen, I'm the teacher and I don't really want to have anything to do with you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Sorry about that. I thought you were a new mom, but like, you know, I like tend to be over-inclusive. Right. And it's not even because I'm a nice person. It's because that's what I want the universe to do. You know, like I want somebody else to see somebody alone and be like, Hey, come sit with me. I'll be your friend. And then I feel like once somebody does that for you, then you want to do that for somebody else. Right. Because you're like, oh, that's all it was. Like she just said, come over here. I think that you just have to experience it first, see it, and then realize it's not that hard. And then maybe it's like the whole pay it forward thing, you know. I don't know. Maybe we can institute a change in the universe somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I think that your comment about my daughter making a bigger impact than she may realize yeah. uh, goes for you reaching out to those new people at the party. Yeah. I, I hope think I do. a bigger impact than you maybe realize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's just do it, right? How hard is it? Who, who can't use a new friend? <laughs> that's right. Right. So I want to congratulate you on your book, Autism with the Side of Sushi. 
Thank it's you. doing really well. Can you yeah. tell us the birth of that? Yeah, I would love to. So autism with the side of sushi, like I said, I'm from Japan. And when I first came to the States, I didn't speak English. Um, my parents are straight up Japanese, many, many, many generations. We, they would pack my lunch. Well, not my, not they, not my dad. My mom would pack my lunch and they would be like very Japanese food in there, like, um, you know, rice balls and whatever. And I would get to school and like everybody has their peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And inevitably somebody would look at my food and be like, oh, what is that? You know? And I would be like, oh, I didn't know this was weird. What is that? You know? (laughs) But then it always turned into, do you eat like sushi or something? Isn't that like raw fish? Then today, everybody likes sushi, right? Like everybody knows sushi and it's in every food court, you know, whatever. Um, And it's become normalized and accepted and appreciated. And I was thinking about how can we take autism and do the same thing. Like, let's turn it into sushi and like, let's appreciate it and let's make it common. And nobody has to say, oh, autism, what is that? I want people to say, oh, autism, I know what that is. Not even, it's like a daily thing, you know? So that was the hope behind the book. It was also because, like I said, when I was coming up, I only knew of like famous people doing incredible things that were on the spectrum. And I really just wanted to write a story about my life, right? We're just normal people that live in our normal house and we are doing whatever we need to do. And my kid happens to be on the spectrum. And so I was hoping to reach other moms that were coming through this and getting their diagnoses and, and don't be scared. You know, it is really scary, but like, I'm just this plain person and I'm no Temple Brandon, but I've made it 16 years. Has it been pretty? Eh, I don't think so. But am I here? Are we all here? Yes. And so that was more reasons to bring it to the table. And then lastly, I just wanted to write like the funny things that happen because a lot of the books I read about autism and the textbooks, the textbooks are dry and the stories are really sad, you know, and it's like tear wrenching, gut wrenching. So I wanted to write a story about like all the ridiculously funny miscommunications, misinterpretations, the funny things that happened. And initially I wanted to just make the whole thing really funny, but I couldn't because as I was writing it, I was like, well, that's not funny. Oh, that wasn't funny either. Um, So then it turned into like a whole thing, but yeah. So I wanted to make everybody know like, it's okay to laugh about it and it's okay to like cry about it and be really, really sad. But at the same time, things are sometimes really funny and that's okay too. I love that naked parent nation. You got to get your copy of autism with a side of sushi and check it out. The feedback has been wonderful. I understand. And congratulations on that. Thank you. And I want to tell you that talking to you today and hearing your story, I feel like you have your own temple grand in story. I feel like you've navigated. I feel like You've gone through difficult things. You've pushed for your son to have amazing opportunities. You've written a book that's inspiring people and it's causing people to come together over a topic that's important to us. Yeah. I'm inspired by talking to you. And I think that you've really, you should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. I really, I appreciate it. And I, I love what you say in the beginning of each of these podcasts, you know, like you are not alone and 
I know that we'll get to it, but you know, my, my name, Corey Yasuno is my handle for everything. Instagram and my website is CoreyYasuno.com. Like reach out to me, you know, I've done it. I've been there. And maybe you want to say, Oh my God, this is the funniest thing my kid did. Tell me, like, I love those stories. I just want to help. <laughs> just like you want to help and we're here and it's the community and we have to help each other. And Soon enough, it's going to be an even bigger community because it's not changing anytime soon. I feel that you want to help. If you could send me those places where people can reach you so we can put it in the show notes, um, that'd be awesome so that people can figure out how to connect with you. And I hope that we can stay connected and you can stay connected to the show and we can touch base down the road and hear how 11th grade goes and... And uh, and just like continue this journey together. I would love that. And if you speak to any brilliant minds that have the answers that I'm looking for, please tell me and I'll partner with them and we'll get it in all the schools. And if your daughter has any ideas, like let's tap the ones that know what they're doing already, right? <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about Sounds of Autism offline because part of Sounds of Autism is going in and educating yes, police departments, fire departments, schools. Mm-hmm educating mothers while the baby's in the womb of things that they can look for so that it's not as much of a surprise. So a big part of it is education. So let's talk about that offline. And thank you for being on the show today. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And I wish you. you. Thank you. And thanks for letting me into your nation. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Have a great one. Take care. And thanks. Thank you. This concludes our show for today, and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. So long.